Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Lovely day weather-wise, huh? Hmm. Well, for Mother's Day 2018, a happy Mother's Day. Good morning, everybody. This is Bob Salter. After our 8 o'clock update, Rick Wolf is along with the Sports Edge program. Ed Randall stops by after our 9 o'clock update on the fan. He'll be talking baseball. And we shift into a discussion with guests who... Um, let's see. I think I've chatted with this gentleman once or twice before. Some of you may remember our discussions. They've always been very interesting ones because there's a lot of areas that he has an expertise in. He's an author, a psychotherapist. Jonathan Barrent is joining us this hour of our program. First of all, good morning. Welcome back to our program on The Fan. Good morning. Thank you for having me. And It's nice to have you uh, join us again. I hope you've been well. I have. You know, you have a gem of a show, and you had very, you had many well-spoken uh, callers. I was listening for a while. I know many people who would not be able to make the phone call to your show because of anxiety. Well, that's the interesting area, because we've talked about this whole idea of anxiety before. And I want to say something to you. I've touched upon this before, but since I spoke to you the last time, I'm noticing something in one of my other lives, which as a college professor, I'm hearing and seeing more and more in the classroom students on the first day say to me, I suffer from social anxiety. And the fact that they can say that to you is is at least they're take they're being proactive and they're being upfront about it. Exactly. I know many people who are not able to do that. You know, I was reflecting recently about my experience in the media going back to 1988. Um, after I was on the Oprah show, that was before the Oprah effect. Sadly, I was talking to a producer from the Sally Raphael show, and he said, uh, "You are on Oprah. We don't want you." Why do you have a PR firm? At that time, I had one. My answer was, I'm trying to educate the world. He said, perfect answer. Went on the show. It was really well produced. It resonated with thousands of people. Now, very sadly, even though social anxiety has become the most dominant anxiety disorder in the world because it's based on performance uh, dynamics and the world is very technological, competitive, and it's only going to get more so, the mental health profession is very stuck on this. They do not understand it. I'll give you a few examples of what I'm talking about. Okay, you, you mentioned the kids come into your class and they say, I have social anxiety because the last thing they want to do is have to talk in front of the class or give a speech. Mm-hmm. You know, I know plenty of people who when they went to, to a class like that, they sit next to the door so they can have a, you know, an escape <laughs> route if needed. <laughs> but when you, when you go, uh, one of my most popular uh, interviews at the website socialanxiety.com is this gentleman named Tom, 
who is a senior executive in a uh, in a mega construction company. And when I started working with him, he had panic attacks that were very debilitating, and he had to avoid so many situations that were impacting his career. And he's, and he's all better now. And this man was a semi-pro football player. He was a member of a military SWAT team. And he said to me that therapy, the treatment process that helped him resolve the problem was the hardest thing that he ever did in his life. Why? Because he had to be introspective. Introspective is the process of looking into oneself. Mm -hmm. And it's absolutely mind-blowing how difficult that is for people who become so externally focused over time that they never learn the skills of looking inside, and that's what's really needed to... uh, to resolve an anxiety problem. Other examples of what we're talking about, fear of being noticeably nervous, erythrophobia, fear of blushing, hyperhidrosis, fear of sweating in public. These can be very debilitating and can lead to avoidance, which is a phobia. Selective mutism, a very insidious problem. Uh, Seven out of 1,000 children have this. That's about the same number as autism, and these children grow into being teenagers and adults. What this is, it's a complex variation of obsessive-compulsive disorder where the person, in essence, does not speak. It's an addiction to not speaking or a phobia for not speaking. Um, School phobia. Uh, The list goes on and on. Pervasive social avoidance. There are many examples of social anxiety, but basically there are two types of people who have the problem, and this is a very important thing to understand. The person who has performance anxiety and public speaking anxiety, uh, the executives and the salesmen that I work with, they will wait as long as they possibly can to get help. This is the quintessential disease of resistance. But at some point, because of their fear of losing their job, they make the phone call and they have initiative. So one group of people has initiative. The other group does not. For example, the 26-year-old who's in his or her room playing video games or on the Internet for 70, 80, 90 hours a week has no initiative for their mental health. A typical situation, a mother calls me for a 26-year-old. I'd like you to see my son. He's 26 years old. Yes, he's very shy. He has social anxiety. I said, sure, but I've got to work with the parents first. Why do you want to see the parents, she says, with indignation? He's 26 years old. My response, why are you making the phone call? Right. The mental health community does not understand the dependence-avoidance dynamic that is at play. So if the, 20, if the parents are even able to get the 26-year-old to the therapist to do one-to-one therapy, it's mostly not going to work because we're not dealing with the enabling that's taking place. Why is it that there's this lack of understanding, for lack of a better term, on the part of the mental health community? What a great question. Okay, first of all, um, most people don't go for help because of profound levels of embarrassment and shame and humiliation. Then the reason, here's a reason, now we get into a little controversy here. Okay, the re, everybody's probably heard of cognitive behavioral therapy, known as CBT. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what happens is uh, the, a very common uh, reference is 
okay, you've got this social anxiety, go for CBT, it's the gold standard. Okay, nothing is further from the truth. This is a, a gross cliché. And it does a lot to um, confuse the potential consumer. Now, I'm sure CBT works with a lot of things. And obviously, when working in treatment, you've got to deal with cognition. Everything starts with a thought. And behavior, of course, it's important. But if you don't get to the core issues and the emotional issues and how that connects to physiology, you're not going to accomplish that much. And again, with the, the typical thing is when you have the people who are not capable of, in, of initiative because they're so locked into avoidance, if you do not involve the caregivers, you will achieve nothing, and most, peop, most practitioners do not understand or buy that concept. Mm. When we are talking about social anxiety you know the numbers obviously speak for themselves the response that you've gotten how has that changed over the years even in the period of time since we've been talking how has the response changed it the resistance stays in place some things remain the same forever you know, I, the most important question that I can ask anybody uh, who's considering this is, do you know what your most valuable asset is? Do you know? Well, the answer is time. Time is not elastic. It doesn't stretch. People who have this problem will do anything that they can do to detach. That means to disconnect and to avoid what's threatening because the pain, the pain runs very deep. I have an email in front of me that I just got uh, from somebody. It says, I just want one day to not be afraid. One day I've tried for 60 years to overcome social anxiety, and I'm tired of having to be afraid all the time. I start a new job on Monday. I'm terrified of having to introduce myself to people. I just can't do it. I honestly would rather be dead. Mm. I'm reading that. This is the pain that runs so deep that people don't want to deal with. And you have to deal with this pain and you have to bring it to the surface if there's going to be any clinical efficacy. Mm. And when you talk about areas like you've mentioned, I mean, you know, you mentioned the idea of selective mutism. We've touched upon this before. Um, the impact that that has on the young person I mean, is there a way to, to explain what that's like, and how do, you, how do you get them past that? The impact is enormous, okay? I work with people from, I start at age four and a half, but selective mutism also is the, the etiology for a lot of public speaking anxiety. Mm -hmm. the, the most common thing that I hear is, you know, in all of my clinical work, is I don't know what to say or uh, I have nothing to say. In essence, one's internal critical script is, uh, is controlling them and shutting them down. Okay, so when we have the four, five, six-year-old child, the teenager, whatever, what I do is I do therapy through the parents because there's no way that this child is going to comply. If you take a five-year-old and you put them into therapy one-to-one -one for selective mutism, it's absolutely, or a 10-year-old or a 15-year-old, it's going to be a joke 
because in most cases, the person is not going to be speaking to the therapist. So what I do is I take a systems approach, and I teach the parents first how to get on the same team, which is they're not to begin with. Then I teach them how to empower versus not enable, which means to help the child access the neural, N-E-U-R-A-L, pathways that are so hard to access. Because if you don't do this, what happens is the child is investing in an alternate universe. When I see these kids who become adults and they're locked in their room and they're not socializing, their whole world is based on technology on the Internet, and it runs so deep that they don't care about anything else except that outlet. And I have countless stories like that. Mm. Interesting discussion we are having with Jonathan Barrent on our program on the fan this morning. We've spoken with him a number of times previously. He's an author. He's a psychotherapist. Um, the website he mentioned earlier, socialanxiety.com, has a lot of information there that is uh, helpful as well. Is that the best way for people who are interested to contact you? It is, socialanxiety.com, and probably the most important thing there is it's, there's a unique uh, free clinical library of interviews. I, I do believe it's one of a kind where you can hear, and they're not only testimonials, but if you listen carefully, you get a lot of insight regarding the different problems, whether it's public speaking, selective mutism, hyperhidrosis, erythrophobia, school phobia is another one, involuntary virginity. There's a lot of content there. School phobia. How does that play out? School phobia is uh, an anxiety. It's obviously an anxiety trauma coupled with uh, a breakdown in parenting. Okay, so here we go. We get into isolation. The child is avoiding a social interaction, and this is this is a segue into something else that is very you know important. Uh, recently, I sent out a press release. A number of them after the last school shooting, mm -hmm. okay? And the title of it was, My Patient Said, I Understand Why Kids Shoot Up Schools. Now, I'm going way back uh, to Columbine, where they first met with these mentally ill kids first masterminded this, this kind of uh, issue. Shortly after that, I had a number of young male patients who said to me, I do understand why the kids shoot up schools. Now, these kids did not, that I had, my patients, didn't have the DNA for this kind of thing. But what they're talking about is their pain and their anger about their social impotence. Everyone around is having fun. Everyone around is dating. Everyone else is socializing. And if the mental health, prof in order for there to be uh, progress, with this problem, the mental health profession is going to have to do a much better job at understanding the internal rage associated with social impotence, which is a combination of anxiety and social skills deficits. We're talking with Jonathan Barrent on our program. What we'll do is work in some thoughts from some of the folks listening to us as well. 877-337-6666 is our phone number. 720 is our time after our 8 o'clock update. Rick Wolf is along with the Sports Edge program. And that follows um, Dave's 8 o'clock update. I'm Bob Salter. We're in discussion with Jonathan Barrent this hour of our program. Jonathan is a psychotherapist. He... Um, 
is also an author. Uh, we've talked before about the book Beyond Shyness. For those who don't know, how do you describe it? Beyond Shyness is your basic primer for uh, how to control social anxiety. The title of the book, Beyond Shyness, we have to get beyond shyness. Shyness is too abstract a, con- a concept to be functional. In essence, shyness is social anxiety. The question is, to what degree is it present? My other book, Work Makes Me Nervous, is specifically about performance anxiety at work. Um, in treatment, there are two levels of what we do. One is technique. The technique is to make friends. It's paradoxical. It's to make friends with adrenaline. Before the show started today, about 10 minutes before, for example, my hands started getting cold. Why? Because it was vasoconstriction. What is this? This is the physiology of performance, adrenaline at work. Okay, so what I do is I say when this happens, I say, ready, set, go. We're on the line. Let's go for it. What happens with many people who suffer from performance anxiety is that they're experiencing this adrenaline. They don't know what to do with it. They're angry at it. That's what causes a panic attack. The, the, the technique is based on acceptance. It's surfing the wave. I was at the beach the other day, and I was watching the surfers. The surfer goes with the wave. That is the adrenaline. When you do that, you're going to be in control. The deeper work and the most important work is the core work. For example, one of my patients, a very successful uh, insurance uh, broker, um, we were doing core work, and he tells me a story that when he was 12 years old in Little League, an important Little League game, he's up at bat three times. He hits a home run, one for three, pretty good. After that, his father takes him to a batting cage and makes him practice for four hours while the other kids are out partying and having pizza and whatever. Okay, now what is that? That's overkill. That's toxic parenting, which creates too much of an internal critical script. And along with that, and this is staying with the core issue, creates a tremendous amount of anger and rage which gets recycled. And most people are not aware of this, but this is an example of what has to be brought to a conscious level for healing. Okay. You've just said something I think is very important. And let me mention the fact, too, that I said earlier what we'll do is try to work in thoughts from folks listening to us if you're on point with some of these issues that um, Jonathan is raising. 877-337-6666 is our phone number here at The Fan. This idea of the internal critical script, are a lot of people walking around with that? Yes, and many of my patients, especially those with performance anxiety and public speaking anxiety, are perfectionists. And the last thing that a perfectionist is going to do is to acknowledge an imperfection. So it gets a little complicated because their internal critical script is what causes their financial or career success. But what happens is they don't know how to stop it. And the strain of the critical script creates the anxiety and the, and, and the episodes that happen. In essence, the body and the mind breaks because they can't control the critical script. If a person, I mean, it's normal to have this physiology of performance uh, in a public speaking scenario, for example. So here comes the adrenaline, 
the person doesn't understand what it is, their critical script gets angry, and that makes the adrenaline worse. So part of what has to happen, in addition to teaching the technique, you've got to go back in time and you've got to teach the patient how they learned adrenaline trauma. In terms of the selective mutism, what happens is that the sufferer of whatever age um, basically says, I have to have the perfect thing to say. The concept of perfect doesn't exist in reality. That causes paralysis and a lot of emotional pain. Mm. Then why is it that so many people spend their lives chasing perfection? Perfectionism is a symptom of insecurity. But in order for them to feel safe, they have learned this concept of perfectionism. Also, now th this is why I love, you know, one of the things I love about being on WFAN, the, the metaphor that I use, the sports metaphor that I use when somebody comes into treatment uh, for anxiety, for performance or social anxiety, is it's a football one. Um, the patient becomes the quarterback. He's Tom Brady, excuse me, right? I'm Bill Belichick. And the reason that we do this is because the quarterback creates motion. You're never going to beat an anxiety disorder by playing defense. So using the football metaphor, a uh, person is playing defensive secondary. When is my adrenaline going to be there? What's going to happen? Okay, so what happens in the football metaphor is incrementally we teach the person one step at a time how to get out of their comfort zone and negotiate the, the physiology of performance. Mm. But for a lot of people, that idea of just getting out of their comfort zone, I'm assuming that's a major hurdle right there. It, it, it's a major hurdle, okay? And this brings us to a lot of other subjects. For example, um, medicine. Okay, the, the drug of choice, by the way, for uh, social anxiety is alcohol. And I remember one story with this kid uh, who was pledging a fraternity. He calls me and says, Jonathan, you've got to help me. I can't get girls. My life is falling apart, whatever. Then he calls me back a couple of weeks later. He got the award as the most social person in the, the in, uh, incoming in, the, in his fraternity. What's the answer? Six-pack therapy, mm. right? Okay. There are a number of interviews at the website, socialanxiety.com, about alcohol. When people learn to control alcohol, it is astounding uh, the, regarding the improvement that can happen. When a person is dependent on alcohol, which all too often happens, it's a major investment in defensive positioning. That's what this anxiety problem is all about. Then we go to the use of medicine. When I started my practice back in the late 70s, the whole thing was I started with biofeedback and therapy for stress management. Let's get people off of medicine. Let's not need medicine. And it's good to have that as a foundation. But what I have discovered is there are some very productive ways to use pharmaceuticals. There's a right and a wrong way. And the approach very often with medicine these days is pharmaceuticals basically first and in many cases heavy yes and and that's the problem for example 
um, often people who have performance anxiety, public speaking anxiety, take beta blockers. Okay, mm-hmm. so a person takes a beta blocker, if they take it once in a while because they have this acute level of anxiety, that's really good. But when a person is dependent and they take it all the time, it breeds a psychological addiction. Another example is the use of antidepressants. Very often, which can be really good, okay, known as SSRI, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. These can be very effective, but all too often, people come into treatment and they've been on this medicine for such a long period of time without doing quality work to deal with the underlying issues, and they become dependent on this. When I work with someone, um, we use pharmaceuticals when the person is stuck with the objective of the person will be on it for X amount of time with the goal of originally getting off. You know, I have this person uh, who came to me about a, 10 months ago. He was crashing with anxiety, lots of panic attacks, depression. He had to give a presentation to the board of directors in, in London. He, he was really, really uncomfortable. Um, flash forward, you know, about a year later, he gets a million-dollar salary, a million-dollar signing bonus. Okay, this person, and he's mastered his public speaking. When I started with this person and he was stuck about 10 sessions into treatment, he said, take medicine off the table. I never want to discuss it. Now he doesn't want to go off. So it can be a tricky thing. Mm. And when you have somebody who's in a situation like that, then how do you handle that? (laughs) That's a good one. Well, we want to get to the point that the person achieves sustained confidence and happiness so that they can methodically, that's the whole thing, methodically go off the medicine once they have achieved that peak performance. Mm. Okay. There's a lot of different areas where you can go in these uh, discussions. We're talking with Jonathan Barrent on our program on the fan this Sunday morning. Um, what we can do as well is work in some thoughts from some of the folks listening to us. I mean, we've covered a lot of different areas thus far already. Uh, 877-337-6666 is our phone number. Uh, also, socialanxiety.com, the uh, website. There's a lot of information that is available there along the lines of Things that Jonathan is talking about, as well as some uh, interviews, there's uh, contact information for him uh, through there also. When we talk about the approaches with uh, therapy and social anxiety, is there a role for schools in dealing with or addressing social anxiety? There is a role, but it's very complicated. Um, For example, let's take the case of selective mutism. Mm -hmm. Okay, we've got the kid who's five years old, ten years old, and is shut down verbally in class. Okay, and there are a lot of legal issues here. That that is uh, a legal handicap. Okay, so what happens is, in school there can be the strategy of accommodating the child. Okay, so the child, quote, can't speak, so we're going to accommodate so that he or she doesn't have to do that in certain ways. Or there can be what's called uh, certain bridging, behavioral bridging techniques to get the child to speak, which sometimes work and sometimes don't work. Okay, my thing with this, and I get a lot of calls 
uh, from parents who say, well, my kid doesn't talk in school and that's the problem, but they don't have a real picture of the situation. There's a lot going on outside of school. I would never uh, try to introduce a treatment program in school until the parents have learned what they have to do. So what happens is in school, while um, there's a lot of accommodation that can help the child's educational progress, in many ways it inhibits the child's mental health. The child has to learn to be healthy, has to learn how to adapt to the stress in a positive way. And it goes back to the beginning in my book, Beyond Shyness. The biggest mistake is to think that the child is going to grow out of the problem. So in essence, some schools... And it's, this only happens when there's advocacy, because most schools have no clue about this. Mm-hmm. A, a program will be put into effect, but all too often it turns into an enabling process. You know, one of the, in, in therapy, everything is uh, confidential, but, you know, some people give me permission to use uh, their names. And one of the, there's a free seminar at the website, socialanxiety.com, entitled, um, a professional baseball player discusses uh, selective mutism. Can this you was, hold, can you hold that thought? Sure. Uh, I want to be able to have you for you to have enough time to be able to go through this. We'll take a pause, come back, and talk more with Jonathan Barrett this Sunday morning. We're in discussion with Jonathan Barrett on our program. He's a, a psychotherapist uh, by profession. He's an author as well. We've talked a little bit about uh, his books, Beyond Shyness and Work Makes Me Nervous. The uh, website socialanxiety.com has a lot of information along the lines of things that uh, Jonathan has shared with us in our discussion. Um, You were giving an example before we paused for an update, but I'll tell you what I want to do is try to work in a thought from somebody who's listening to us. WFAN's toll-free line is 877-337-6666. It's brought to you by Mohegan Sun. Unlimited possibilities await you at Mohegan Sun. Plan your stay at mohegansun.com. Uh, let's go to the phone. We'll start with uh, Shane in Mount Vernon. Shane, good morning. Thanks for holding on. Welcome to the fan. Oh, good morning. Good morning. Um, I just wanted to discuss, actually, I was listening to the uh, social anxiety, depression uh, discussion you were having. Uh, I wanted to chime in on that. For when I was in high school, which is over 10 years ago now, I suffered through severe depression and anxiety, and I got help. I have a therapist now that I've gone to for over 10 years, as long as well as a psychiatrist that has prescribed medication. And what I wanted to discuss is I've put in my work with the therapist in terms of working through depression, anxiety, and getting coping mechanisms, but I also wanted to discuss the medication part of it. The medication I got prescribed, I've been on now for a long time at a steady dose, and I also have medication that's as needed, so it helps you relax and go to sleep that I take at night, but as needed means I could go months without taking it and then take some. And that is medicine you can, uh, it'll lose its effectiveness if you just do it for the sake of doing it. Um, But the point I wanted to make was the guy said that after you're feeling better, you can try and wean yourself off the medication. I have actually tried to do that. Okay, let let, let me me comment on that. Let me me comment. Okay, chemistry is a complex subject, okay? And, And everybody has different... Uh, a different makeup and a different chemistry. 
Okay, what I am saying is that not you try to wean yourself off abstractly. There has to be a methodical approach to this. And what happens is you've got to get to the point that you sustain, key word there, you, you sustain your confidence and your increased mood and your self-esteem and all that. Now, one of the things that's really tricky here is what, what along with the medicine, what are you doing with the core work? Now, here's my read on this. When a person okay. has anxiety and depression, the core issue, now this may sound a little weird. It's easy to identify worry and fear and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But on a, on a deeper level, there is anger and rage. And just okay. borrowing the work, the borrowing the work of uh, the brilliant uh, John Sarno, who passed away, you know, about six months ago. Yeah. Okay, but th- this is the key to the core work. When, when anger and rage is repressed and it recycles, there is a condition yeah. called tension myositis syndrome, which means that the emotion is such an important variable that it inhibits the flow of oxygen into the bloodstream, and that's what is the basis of a lot of physical symptoms to which there's no organic basis. So when one suffers from long-term anxiety and depression, you've got to be careful um, about when you get off the yeah. medicine, and you've also got to be careful about the core work that's been done. Well, can I chime in? Sure. Uh, I've been depression-free and anxiety-free pretty much for those uh, for the full ten years, with a slight exception of maybe a month in between. But outside of that, the medicine, in combination with the therapy, you have to do both. Don't get me wrong, has done wonders. Now I've tried to at times wane myself off the medication. And it hasn't it hasn't worked, but the medication comes without side effects, and science is very skeptical if in 50 years, you know, the medication all of a sudden does something to you. So it's something that I see is, oh, the medication is something that I could stay on my whole life if I put in the correct work with my therapist. You know what I'm talking about? Because if you take yourself off and all of a sudden you have all kinds of problems, what's what's worth it trying to wane down medicine if it's going to create all kinds right. of problems? Right. What's your thought on that? It, as we say, it's different chemistry for everybody. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So my chemistry might be that I need to stay on the medicine. You, you, you may. That, that, can... You may. That That is something that you really have to, you know, be discussing with the person you're working with. Which I have been, and that's the kind of agreement we've come up with. Okay. Shane, thank you very much for your call. We wish you certainly continued good health. Thank you very much for your patience and your your comments this morning. Right. Yeah, sure. Okay. All right, bye. Let's move along here on the phone. Uh, let's see. Next up is, uh, is this DJ in Manhattan? Yes. Good Hi. morning. Uh, good morning. Uh, what a great show. Um, real quick, uh, I grew up in uh, Connecticut and I had toxic, toxic parents, uh, bullied in high school, uh, went to college, found alcohol and uh, alcohol and drugs, and I'd say about 25 years using, uh, and I've been five years sober. And um, I, I feel like I was in therapy once in my late 20s, and I feel like I had elements of... Uh, anxiety and depression, uh, even nervous right now on this phone call. <laughs> but, um, 
But yeah, uh, but you're doing it. Listen, you're channeling yeah. the adrenaline. That's great. Yeah, I would say uh, the five years uh, in AA has uh, absolutely changed my life. Right, uh, miraculous. Uh, being in the room, sharing my feelings, uh, going over my fears and phobias, uh, being in front, chairing meetings. Uh, with that being said, I'd say my biggest two things I think I need to work on. Uh, our fear of change, going after a new job, and fear of uh, intimacy uh, relationships. Those are the two huge things, and I feel stuck. I still feel stuck at times, but I know where the resentments come from. Like you said, I know where the anger comes from. Uh, but, uh, you know, in my late 20s, I, I, I went to therapy for about a year. And, and I went home, and uh, um, my mom helped me out a lot with that, and I've never been on medication. But I work out, and that helps a lot, too, like you said about the endorphins. But uh, that was after a bad, bad breakup. But I think, like, a lot of that stuff's been resolved. And um, I think I owe it all right now to my recovery. But now it's now I'm kind of wondering what the next step is, with those, especially with those two issues, the fear of change, going after a new job, and definitely the fear of uh, intimacy. But, well, well, listen, th- thank you for sharing. First of yeah. all, the whole thing of um, recovery is immense. I mean, I myself am astounded at, at the, the incredible positive changes that can happen when, when people uh, lose their dependence on alcohol. But, Bob, have your producer take this person's name and address so I can send him a copy of my book as a little reward for sharing. Oh, well, thank you so much. Okay. All right. If you will uh, hold on, um, DJ, we'll have uh, Kara Ann. Uh, get that information from you as well. I appreciate it. Thank you very much for your uh, call this morning and your comments too, your patience on the phone. Uh, 877-337-6666 is our phone number uh, here at The Fan. Um, And what we'll do is try to work in some thoughts from some of the folks who are listening to us this morning. Uh, Let's see, next we go to uh, Dave in Irvington, New Jersey. Dave, good morning. Welcome to The Fan. Good Good morning, Bob. It's a pleasure to speak with you. I haven't spoken to you in a while. And enjoying, you as well. Enjoying the program, and good morning to your guest. I forgot your name. Jonathan Barrett. Dr. Barrett, pleasure to speak with you. Thank you. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to take a different point of view here, you know, if you don't mind. Um, I, I, you, I've been listening to you for the past uh, half an hour. You're very articulate, and I know you know of where you speak, and, um, you know, and you've done a lot of work in this area. But I have to say that uh, I think that, that you, and this isn't unique to you, but I think a, a lot of people, we live in a society today where we have fallen prey to, you know, for, and forgive me for using this word, but psychobabble. You know, because I feel that everybody makes a choice. We all make choices in this world. You know, I went to school. I, I, I graduated from a special school for the blind. I happen to be blind. You know, I got bullied, I got teased, I happened, I'm black, I got called the N-word a few times. But it didn't, it didn't give me the desire to go out and attack people and to plan a, a, um, a beating, a beatdown, you know, because uh, I was, uh, you know, made fun of. And I think that uh, all, t- all too often, you know, uh, a, a lot of kids today are not being... They don't know how to take no for an answer. You know, um, I, I'm out here, on, you know, on the dating scene, and women 
have said no to me a couple of times, and you know what? I'm still a happy camper because I realize that if I accept the no's like a, like a mature human being, the yes will eventually come. And I think the other thing is we've totally uh, uh, wiped out faith and, 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 and spirituality. You know, uh, it's become, we live in a politically correct society where in certain places you can't mention God, you can't mention faith. You know, spiritual things are treated like a dinosaur. And, and so, therefore, we allow, you know, some of our young people, you know, to become little gangsters and, you know, and little thug wannabes. And, you know, we have this culture of get-evenism, okay? You dissed me, and I don't like it, so therefore, not only am I going to make you pay, but I'm going to make your family and friends pay as well. You know, we, we live in a culture, unfortunately, of pure evil. You know, and and... I think that, you know, with, uh, not to get too political here, but I have to say it, the, you know, the far left, you know, when these shootings happen, they blame the guns. And I know it sounds like a cliche, but the gun didn't, you know, get up out of the box and do the shooting. You know, it was the individual that did it. Mm-hmm. That, that's why I'm saying that the mental health profession needs to very much increase their understanding about the rage associated with being socially challenged. But thank you for sharing. Well, I, I, I appreciate it. But, you know, I think a lot of that rage, with all due respect, my brother, is manufactured. And it's manufactured by a bunch of elements. You know, the gangster rap music and... Um, you know, I, I mentioned that I'm black, the, you know, the race demagogues who are constantly, you know, preaching this idea that the police are against us and America is against us. So, so they channel this, they, they manufacture this rage, you know, and, and give these little devils, um, you know, a just cause to go out and do what they do. Okay, Dave, I think you've mentioned your points here. Um, Jonathan has responded to that. Thank you very much for sharing that. Thank you for your kind words and for listening this morning. Well, the we, pleasure is mine. And we, Dr. Jonathan, I like you a lot. This is not about you. No, I understand. Okay. Thank you for sharing. We've got to run along here. Thank you very much. Have a good day there, Dave. You okay. too. All right. Um, now, Jonathan, we've got about two minutes left here. Uh, you were... Yeah, let uh, me go back to that story. That story okay, so yes. there's a free seminar entitled Professional Baseball Player and Selective Mutism. Okay, Kirk Rita pitched for the San Francisco Giants. He won the most games as a, as a left-hander in their history. And we... we uh, Their child got better with selective mutism via work we did over the telephone. Here's the point. I was joking around with him one day, and I said, Kirk, you ever have a bad game? He says, I'm pitching against the Rockies, the Colorado Rockies, in the first inning, I'm losing 6 nothing." <laughs> so I say, how do you deal with that? He says, I have to pitch every fifth day. So what I think about is what do I have to do to be better the next time out, right? Perfect example, perfect winning psychology. So you've got to ask yourself, what gets in the way of that attitude? Two things. Number one, too, too excessive an internal critical script and damaged self-esteem. Mm. Very interesting story and quite an interesting discussion. I'm glad we got some uh, thoughts from some of the folks listening to us uh, into our discussion as well today. Um, would you mention the website again? 
socialanxiety.com. The most important thing there is the free library of clinical interviews that can give your listeners some real important insight regarding this problem. Okay, and the uh, books that we had mentioned earlier in our discussion, Beyond Shyness and Work Makes Me Nervous, Jonathan Barrent, who is an author, a psychotherapist, he's been a guest on our program a number of times uh, previously and has shared an awful lot with us thus far in our discussion. Thank you very much for uh, joining us and um, sharing this information today. I know that your words have touched a lot of people as well, too. Thank you, Bob. Go Celtics, Red Sox, <laughs> I knew there was going to be one yeah, of those okay. twists in there, too. I love the mention of Tom Brady and Bill Belichick earlier, too. That's, That's the metaphor. There, there, there you go. go. Okay. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. On our program on the fan on Sunday mornings, we try to have a, a good time and also bring you some good information. Hopefully we have done that today. Hey, does that mean... Hang on for a second. Let me step back. All right. You know, look at it this way. It's not my ego, but every once in a while, you got to give yourself a hand, a pat on the back. Let me reach back there. Okay. Why not? After our 8 o'clock update, Rip Wolf is along with the Sports Edge program. He's probably shaking his head right now and definitely shaking his head. Ed Randall will be by after our 9 o'clock update with this, the Talking Baseball program. We'll see you at 6 next Sunday morning. Our thanks to Kara Ann Galanti for help on the technical side this Sunday morning. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.